Welcome to this week's episode of The Insatiable Appetite. I'm Louisa Edgerly with The Hartman Group, and I'm here today with my colleague, Eva Nafziger, to talk about our recently released report on brands and private brands, titled Brand Ambition, Private Brands and Beyond. Hi, Eva, welcome. Hi, Louisa, happy to be here. So this report takes a deep look at private brands, both the different tiers of private brands and also name brands across different types of categories. But it also takes a broader view to examine what role brands play today in consumers' decision-making around food and beverage purchasing. So let's start there. Companies really started investing in developing strong brands in the post-World War II era, largely enabled by the expanding uh, use of mass media, the reach of this media, um, and also the growth of the food uh, science industry as well. And the decades since then really saw the establishment of a number of iconic food and beverage brands that consumers would rely on to tell them what they should eat, why they should eat it, and which foods and beverages would deliver what they want. What did the Brand Ambition study find about that? Do consumers still use brands this way? Well, not quite. Uh, so the role of brand itself in consumers' decisions has diminished uh, and it has also changed. And this is really coming out of some of the shifts that we've seen taking place in our broader cultural landscape beyond food. Um, and most relevantly, uh, the expanded access to information that consumers have today. And related to that comes also their deeper and broader understanding of um, their health and wellness, uh, the relationship between what they eat and their health, and then from there, how specific foods and food products affect their health. Um, and uh, so in the past, uh, iconic brands growth has been enabled by this math, mass media use, um, which was really a one-way street at that point, and consumers did not have the ability to go out to seek information to further their understanding of health and specific products. And so they were dependent on brands to tell them. And so the loyalty that brands have built up over time uh, could really be turned more of a dependency. But today, uh, with so much uh, information at their fingertips, consumers are much more uh, focused on product attributes than the brand itself when they make choices. And so rather than trusting the brand as a guarantee of quality or healthfulness or superior taste, uh, consumers now rely more on reading the labels and studying the specific attributes of the foods and beverages that they buy. And so they come into the shopping process with uh, much more clarity on what it is they want from their food. And then this set is also broader. So it can span attributes from taste to health, to nutrition, to convenience, even to the values consumers have beyond the realm of food. Um, and they're able to assess the products against the set of needs they have, and then they make their selections that way. Yeah, so ultimately there is this new role for brands to play by focusing on the attributes consumers seek in their foods and then building a new sort of differentiation around a select set of these. And ultimately, brands could build perhaps what we call true brand loyalty among consumers who now trust the brand to consistently provide what they seek. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
So now we're talking about consumers here pretty broadly. Is that all consumers or are there demographic segments that are more or less focused on the brand as a product selection driver? No, uh, this this lower focus on brands is fairly consistent across demographics that we see. Um, it was once thought to be a millennial phenomenon, uh, but now we see it just across the board. Um, the age still plays a little bit of a role, but really the one area where we found a statistically significant and mind you not large uh, difference uh, was in the level of education. So consumers with lower level of education are a little more focused on the specific brand itself, while more highly educated consumers are more likely to just bypass the brand and make their decision based on the attributes. But otherwise, we're seeing a pretty mainstream phenomenon here. Yeah, and uh, we should also mention here that this focus on attributes over brand really applies to both name brands and private brands. Right. Yeah, so let's shift a little bit and talk directly about private brands. Um, private brands, of course, have come a very long way over the same time period that we just discussed. Um, they used to be called the white label, no name or generic brands. But today we see many of them with updated modern packaging, uh, updated look, and more importantly, the consumers we spoke with at depth have been pretty clear that they see often no difference in quality or taste between name brands and private brands. Yes, that's certainly true. And our survey data uh, bears out these positive comparisons as well. So uh, when consumers rate the specific brands they buy uh, without being told whether these are name brands or uh, private brands, they still do tend to assign labels such as high quality a little more often to name brands and they label private brands as good value a little more often. Uh, but then when they're comparing name brands and private brands directly, um, they say private brands do at least as good a job as name brands and sometimes better um, across a broad range of attributes that they are looking for. So private brands are most certainly seen as offering not just lower prices, but overall better value. Um, but they also are very competitive in terms of taste, convenience, quality, and especially and importantly, uh, health and nutrition. And uh, then some of those attributes that tend to be a little further down the list, um, such as those related to experience or the, uh, the values that consumers hold uh, beyond food. And then the caveat I would put here uh, with respect to taste, though, um, is that while private brands do tend to pass the taste test with respect to name brands, um, some of the more iconic name brands have this advantage of having been around for a long time. And so they tend to be just a little more sticky in consumers' minds, which means they're harder to give up. And that's especially true when uh, there is a brand that there's been a taste habituation or some sort of social ritual built around it uh, since childhood. So we had a consumer that was talking about a particular brand of chips that she just has always loved that melt on her tongue just the right way. And that's something that no name brand or uh, private brand can replace for her. Yes, we certainly heard the consumers can be tied strongly to a specific brand, though it could also be one of the private brands today, especially among the more premium ones. 
And we'd say that with these, it's not really about nostalgia, but consumers value the whole collection of attributes that the private brand delivers and offers at a reasonable price. So it really comes back to value for them. And uh, also speaking of value, you'd say balancing value is a tricky proposition for private brands that want to move beyond being the low cost alternative on the shelf. So consumers are aware of and appreciate the move towards creating more premium products, higher quality, healthier formula formulations that private brands have made in recent years. As you mentioned, this is really reflected in our data on how private brands and name brands compare on a range of attributes. But despite this evolution, uh, consumers still seem to see private brands as primarily a lower cost version of name brand offerings. They express a willingness to pay more for a private brand that, that meets or exceeds the standard of a name brand in quality or other aspects. But the overall mindset regarding price is that uh, quality, taste, and healthy ingredients are appreciated at a lower price. So in other words, we could say that private brands have become just like other brands in terms of the expectations consumers put on them in terms of their perceived performance, but yet they are not like other brands in that there is this guardrail around price. It's not insurmountable, but it is there. Right. And so then the related question becomes um, whether private brands have permission from consumers to go and innovate and how far that innovation can go. And here we really found no barriers or guardrails when it comes to innovation. Consumers want to see it uh, from name brands and private brands alike, and they're also perfectly willing to see both type of brands as fun and innovative and adventurous. Um, what they really want out of innovation is healthier and slightly more premium versions of the products that they already buy uh, and at affordable prices. And so they don't really care all that much where this innovation comes from. Yeah, and we've alluded to the premium private brand space a couple of times. How do consumers' perceptions of private brands differ across these different tiers that we know exist? and not just different tiers, but also different types in terms of their ownership structures or different sourcing relationships, single category versus multi-category span, et cetera. Does all that play a role? Not a strong one. So let's take it one at a time. So for the tiers, uh, we looked at value private brands compared to those that could be considered more premium, organic, or better for you. And of course, value private brands are rated higher on price and premium ones on attributes such as quality. But then this does not seem to affect how satisfied consumers feel with either type. Um, it is more about the individual brand's ability to deliver against the set of consumers' expectations, whatever those may be, um, as we discussed earlier. And now for the other things that you mentioned, like the types of ownership or sourcing relationships, all that does not play much of a role in consumers' um, evaluations of private brands because they simply just lack sufficient awareness of these sorts of behind-the-scenes nuances. Um, they can't really factor them in. Some 
consumers have a partial or a vague understanding of these, but more often they aren't even quite sure which brands are private brands or which are name brands. Um, and that phenomenon becomes even more pronounced when the private brand does not bear the same name as, as the retailer name. And then finally, for the single versus multi-category private brands you mentioned, um, when consumers are shopping, they typically make a decision compared to the other products within that category, and they don't necessarily think beyond the category. So what really matters is most, uh, what really matters most is how that one private brand product uh, compares to name brands on that same shelf. And categories are one thing we haven't yet touched on. How does all this play out across different categories? Right, we haven't. Um, well, the overall picture stays mostly the same when we dive down into the category level, uh, but there are also some clear differences that emerge in terms of um, the importance of brands overall and perceptions of private brands and then the attributes that consumers seek out of brands. Um, we don't really have time here today to dive into those category-specific differences, uh, but we do have a wealth of category-level insights in the report. Um, we profiled eight specific categories uh, that were chosen to represent areas of the store, as well as different types of consumers' needs. Um, and then using those uh, categories, we also draw out insights in ways that can be relevant to other categories that uh, may share some of the same characteristics um, of those that we featured. Um, but let me ask you a question back. So given what we learned about the new role of brands in consumers' decision-making when it comes to shopping for foods and beverages, uh, what are some of the key takeaways that brand managers or product managers should bear in mind uh, to ensure that their brands stay relevant and competitive in this new attribute-driven uh, landscape? Well, I'd say what our research shows is they will really need to understand their target audience and what the needs of those consumers are. And this category of needs goes beyond the taste or the ingredient list of the actual product to include considerations about how the product fits with consumers' lifestyles and also the values they hold beyond food um, you know, around the ethics of companies and the production of the food. They will need to deliver on the attributes their consumers seek and differentiate themselves on several dimensions of value in order to really stand out. Um, brands that succeed in delivering these features and do so consistently while also standing out on other dimensions like sustainability, convenience, premium qualities can win true consumer loyalty rather than mere brand dependence. Right, right. That's definitely true. Well, with that, we invite you to read the full report for additional analysis and category level insights. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Eva. This was a lot of fun and a great project to do with you. Thank you very much, Lisa. Have a good day. You too. Bye.